Well, good morning. We have gathered in the midst of life to worship the living God. You may be wondering, Pastor Bill, are you wearing your mask or not? Well, I am fully vaccinated, but I'm also thoroughly confused. <laughs> so let's be that together and worship the Lord. With our celebration ringers back, um, I'm excited to give them a, a part in key leadership. So they have one more musical piece, then I'll have a responsive reading, then we all sing. Is that good? Let's worship the Lord. Thank you. Let us respond to the Word of God. Our call to worship is from Psalm 95. Uh, let me ask you to respond as I read. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. 
let us come before him with thanksgiving. For the Lord is the great God. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The sea is his, for he made it. Come, let us bow down in worship. For he is our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us stand and sing to his glory. O worship the King. Remain standing, if you would, and let us confess our faith using question 53 of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's the question on the Holy Spirit, very appropriate for this Pentecost Sunday. Here's the question. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that the Spirit is given also to me, so that through true faith, He makes me share in Christ and all his benefits and will will remain with me forever. Amen. And have a seat if you would. Well, as I mentioned, uh, this is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, This is the Sunday, 50 days after the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection, that the Spirit was poured out, we'd be uh, connected to Acts chapter 2. We've already preached through there and are working our way to 8, but I want to highlight that. Now, I'm also aware there's a number of things to catch up on, so let me take that opportunity before we go to pray. Uh, First of all, the Hardawike vote was overwhelmingly in favor of calling Aaron Vanderveen as 
campus pastor for Watershed. And so he will be transitioning positions from interim to our campus pastor. And I appreciate not only the support of the Watershed community, but all of us, because he comes on with all of us. With that came the news that the worship leader at um, Watershed, Zach Backstrom, has been confirmed in another call that will have him moving to Washington State. So big staff transition. I'm very thankful for Zach's ministry here. He's been a good friend and a good cohort, even though I don't work directly with him each week. I'll miss him. I first got to know him in our spiritual practices class and the way that really helped me deepen my own prayer life. And I want you to understand very clearly that we affirm his calling to a next season. You know, a few years ago, I was the pastor at Grace Presbyterian Church in Alexandria, Louisiana, and had been for a good year and a half. And I had to stand in front of them like Zach will stand in front of Watershed and say, you know, God is at work, and he's at work here, but he's also calling me to a place in Michigan. That's how I'm here, the sense of God's calling and the blessing. Not everybody at Grace was sorry to see me go, but at the blessing of that congregation. And it's important for a congregation to learn to send their people with blessing and anointing. And we want to do that for Zach. Um, it's important. It's not that he's unhappy. It's that he's called to the next step. So let that permeate your thinking. The other thing is, um, I don't know if you've noticed for the past little while, there's been this thing called COVID. Um, there we go. I'm thankful that all the numbers seem to be moving in a very good direction. Vaccinations, immunities up, cases down, hospital admissions are down. So it's appropriate to kind of loosen up and get back to normal. You'll notice that we're having a fellowship time after this service. Just make your way down to the breezeway. Uh, Wednesday night, we're going to have some more fun for missions. Gather for, again, a time to fellowship. Really rekindle those relationships. But the other thing I'm very aware of, there's so much, what do you say? I don't know. Different people in different circumstances. I'm fully vaccinated. That's why I went to see my mom last week in South Carolina. I had a great time with her. But other folks aren't. I'm going to pretty much wear my mask because I'm in solidarity with my friend Luke Steenweik. If he needs to stay safe, I'm going to be with him. The other good reason I may wear a mask, so many of you have complimented me of how much better I look so I'm just taking you at your word, folks. <laughs> no, seriously. Many are fully vaccinated. Some are not yet eligible. Some are unable because of medical reasons. Others are immunocompromised. So even with vaccination, it's a little less effective. There's such a variety of reasons. We need to commit to loving one another. You know, long before COVID, this guy named um, uh, Jesus said, love your neighbor. And long after COVID, we'll still have that call. So let's love one another. Let's kind of identify and manage our own particular risks and those things. Let's be kind to one another and keep moving together. A lot of stories I could tell you about that. My call as pastor is to love every person 
call to the family of Heart Awake and particularly celebration. And as an under-shepherd of the great shepherd, my goal is to get all the sheep, not just the ones who like me or the ones who agree with me, but to get all the sheep across the river. Can we work on that together? Let's set our hearts to that and let's turn to the Lord and pray. You're going to hear me pray through the course of this morning for several things. One, I'm joining with the banner. The editor said, we in the CRC need a spiritual revival. I'm with them, so I'll be praying on that. And I'll also be praying with the words of Scotty Smith from his daily prayer blog. I really encourage you to be a part of that. We're going to continue to help cultivate prayer life through the summer. But his prayer from yesterday, when trauma hides his lovely face, speaks to me deeply about what we'll be looking at in the sermon and sometimes the challenges and heartaches of life. Let's turn to the Father. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you that you have loved us. And you have loved us even before we loved you. So work in us that our love for you might grow and bear fruit to your glory and for the benefit of others. Thank you, Father, for the way you've provided for and guided Hardawike across many, many years. Thank you that in this moment I get to be a part of that team. Thank you for the faithfulness that has handed me a baton in this moment. And thank you for those who will receive it from me at some time in the future. Make us faithful in our moment. We pray for our sister community watershed and for Pastor Aaron as he will uh, accept the call as uh, campus pastor there. And we pray for Zach and Angela as they enter out into a new call in weeks ahead. Thank you that we stand together in you even as you distribute your gifts and your people as you will. We pray for Pastor JB, who will be preaching in fusion today, that you'd continue to help his family navigate their move here to Holland and uh, press them into the uh, life here. For Pastor Florencio and for Missione, that the gospel of your grace would be made clear in the Spanish language right where I stand in just a few hours. And Father, for this part of your vineyard called celebration, we thank you for the relationships you're uh, building and draw us, drawing us into, how they go back in some cases across years, in other cases are beginning to bud even now in just moments. We pray for Beth after sudden diagnosis and surgery. We thank you that um, the news at this point seems positive, but there's much to recover and much yet to learn. So we pray for her and for John and the whole family. Guide them through this. For AJ at the death of her mother, Father, we thank you for a life well lived for nearly oh, just over a century and that you would be with this family at that time. For each member and um, person who connects with celebration, we pray, Father, that you would encourage us, that you would um, dig deep into our hearts to plant the gospel and to bear fruit. We continue to pray as you've instructed us, Father, in 1 Timothy, to pray for those in authority over us in our regular rotation. We come now to pray for the state of Michigan. And so we pray for Governor Whitmer and for Attorney General Dana Nessel and Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. For those who represent us in the House, Father, and in the State Senate, Mary Whitford, Jim Lilly, Bradley Slaw, and Roger Victory. 
We pray, Father, that your grace would work in them, that even sinners that they are in need of a Savior, like all of us, you would exert your influence for your glory and our benefit. We pray for them first before all else, Father. And we thank you, Father, uh, for the missionaries that you've sent out, whether across the street or across the oceans from Heart of Wyke. Thank you that you've called us to be a part of this great, multi-ethnic, multi-historical, multi-denominational expression of your kingdom and your good work. Most of all, I pray, Father, that you would make the love of Jesus clear to us, that we might make it clear to others. As Scotty Smith prayed, you didn't promise us unbreakable hearts or uncrushable spirits before that day of all things new. But you do promise us your unwavering, if sometimes imperceptible, nearness and grace. The fact that the most often asked question in the Bible is, how long, O Lord? That actually consoles us. We join centuries of your daughters and sons, honest about our today's traumas, and equally thrilled about our forever's glories. Help us to love one another, Lord God. Thank you for your, unlo- for your loving us with empathy, compassion, and kindness. Outside the tomb of your friend Lazarus, you wept with unfiltered, faith-filled, and embarrassment-free tears. So you never roll your eyes at us when we struggle, ache, or lament. Thank you for that. Help us to love fellow lamenters, our neighbors, our family. Fellow lamenters with your unrushed presence and compassion, Lord Jesus. We especially think of children, ours and children everywhere. Whatever their trauma, whether going to bed hungry or living in the presence of contempt, whether hearing the sirens of tornadoes and wars or burying a beloved pet or fearing the next pandemic, whatever, extend your presence and grace through us to them and work in us as you would build us together as we pray with one heart and one voice that which Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Well, I'm thankful you had an opportunity to meet and uh, hear the preaching of my colleague, Pastor J.B. Wernland. Very excited to be working with him and sharing that life together. Um, I want to pick up some from that text because I think Acts 7 kind of launches us through everything in Acts 8. Um, Watch here in particular in Acts 8 the way God empowers his people, the church, to reach across distance and love those people. I don't know who those people are in your book, but begin to think of who are those people. Let's start in Acts chapter 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. 
On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip, the deacon, went to a city in Samaria. Whoa, Samaria. And he proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city. And everyone was amazed there in Samaria. He boasted that he was something great. And I'll go on to verse 25 here because of time. After they had proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Hmm. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandak, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Let's turn to the Lord and pray. Father, I was reminded this week in praying and studying through this passage, listening for your voice, that Luke wrote this. He was the author. But he was good friends and missionary companions with Paul, known as Saul, in this passage. As Luke had seen the change in Saul's life from persecutor to missionary, help us to see the power of the gospel to change us and to fill us with hope and joy and to cross bridges to enter into the lives of broken and distant people, those people, whoever they are. Thank you that as Luke, inspired by your Holy Spirit, wrote these words so you have preserved them across centuries, that now by your grace we might humbly open them read and say, speak, Lord, we listen. Guard your people from my confusion and brokenness. But Holy Spirit, make Jesus known and deeply loved. For we pray in his marvelous and mighty name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Well, it's a hard time in the life of those people who are at first responding to the gospel. These are people who have placed their faith in what Jesus offers from the cross and look at what goes on in their life. Stephen, newly elected as deacon to serve and to care for people, is killed. And I want you to remember, friends, Stephen didn't simply die peacefully in his sleep. He had been gruesomely killed, publicly stoned. People would look at him and they would measure the distance and they would take a stone, bruise him, 
till he bled to death internally, bones broken, covered under the stones. It was meant to be slow and painful and personal, and was. Imagine looking at the person who bruised you to death. Even worse in the midst of this, it's very clear, Saul approved. What that means for the people in this first century church, there were no authorities to appeal to because those authorities were in charge of having them killed. Saul represented those authorities, the Sanhedrin. He was authorized to drag them from home and to put them in jail. Yes, Saul would one day become Paul and Luke would be his traveling companion, but at this moment, Saul is killing people and imprisoning people, and it's hard times. I like to use in my Bible study time uh, a technique from the centuries of church life, Lectio, uh, Lectio Divina, where I meditate. And I encourage you in this time to do something like that. Place yourself in that situation. What if Philip were an uncle or a son-in-law and you'd seen him gruesomely, publicly murdered? If your neighbor had been dragged out because of the faith we hold here and left in prison, if you were wondering about being next, What's the conversation of your heart in that moment? Let, there, in the sermon resources blog, you can get that from the email. There's a little instruction on how to do and develop this skill of Lectio Divina. Learn to let the Scripture permeate it, your heart. Put yourself in that situation. And then ask yourself, what's the conversation of my heart? Put faces to these people in the Scripture. As I did this, that this week, I was drawn back to a period of time in a church that I previously served. You won't know any of these people. But at that church, a team from the Federal Security Service began to be present at every service. It seemed someone had died in our congregation. Now, I knew her. She was a mother of children that Mary Lynn had in Sunday school. She was a wife of a friend. She was a marvelous part of our congregation. She was killed by terrorist extremists in Afghanistan only after her obliteration from the planet did we realize she was pursuing Osama bin Laden. These federal security officials showed up at our services because she had been working in a part of the world where there's a proverb. It goes like this. Your grandfather killed my grandfather, so my grandson will kill your grandson. It's like the Hatfields and the McCoys. Don't think it's just others. Imagine a culture a history, an identity as a national group that has no place for forgiveness. Seems to me, just spend a little time with the Taliban in Afghanistan and you'll see what it's like when a culture has not been impacted by the fruit of the gospel. Killed Stephen, my friend, this mother and wife. 
This is why Stephen's words ring out with such power to me. His last words apparently, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When Stephen had said this, he fell asleep. You know that's just a euphemism for dead. He died. But he died in the same spiritual anointing as the Lord Jesus himself. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus would say it is finished. And with that comes the promise of the Holy Spirit. Stephen has entered into that. With that comes the fruit of the Holy Spirit, kindness in the face of persecution. Stephen's response, do not hold this against them. It's amazing. And what I really saw this week is that all the events of Acts chapter 8 grow out of this final verse of chapter 7. You see, friends, because the gospel begins with a unilateral act of undeserved, even unfair forgiveness, you understand that's what Jesus did at the cross, don't you? He began the process, an undeserved, unearned, even unfair. Because I did the sin, he paid the price. What's fair about that? An unfair act of forgiveness. Friends, that is the foundation. And surprise, when that happens, the Spirit enables people to do extraordinary things. That's what chapter 8 is all about. It begins, the Spirit empowers God's people to forgive those who give us reason to hate them. They give us reason. The Sanhedrin had killed family members and destroyed property and was going to pursue believers. Oh, what does Stephen say? Don't hold this against them. There was no courts to go to and demand their rights. There was no sense of circle the wagons and protect each other. No, we're going to organize and protect ourselves. I want to tell you, friends, um, I was reading a fascinating monograph by Tim Keller, by the way. It's a new book called How to Reach the West Again. I hope to begin share those classes and groups with you. In this, he mentions a book that I picked up and been going through. It's called destroyer of the gods. The the author, Larry Hurtado, seeks to explain why an increasing number of people converted to Christianity in the Roman world, those first three centuries. Why would they convert to Christianity even though it was the most persecuted of all religions and carried significant social cost? Hurtado suggests that part of the answer was the Christian, and he calls this social project, living out the life of the gospel, living the transformation of the heart by grace into a life-bearing fruit. It has at least five elements that can be broken down and expanded at greater length, but which also need to be seen together as they constitute a whole. I'm just going to give you number three. Number three, he says, is non-retaliatory. They were marked by a commitment to forgiveness. Why did people in the face of persecution surrender to Christ. It's because those who had given their lives to him lived with that Holy Spirit-empowered attitude of forgiveness. The early Christians were notable in that if you attacked or killed them, they did not organize retaliation or get revenge. 
They were famous for experiencing death in arenas or by execution as they prayed for their persecutors, following the examples of Stephen and Jesus himself. The Christian teaching on forgiveness and turning the other cheek created a community of peacemaking, reconciliation, and bridge building. See, because of what Jesus did on the cross, there is a resource for God's people that can look in the face of woundedness, unfairness, and not be motivated by revenge or getting even or circling the wagons or demanding my rights, but by saying, in Jesus' name, as I've been forgiven, so I forgive you. Friends, Forgiveness is a deep and difficult thing. It's a journey. And my guess is that we'll be growing and learning in this day by day, week by week for the rest of our lives. It's important, though, in moving quickly here that this forgiveness is not about willpower. Please don't hear me saying, you better go forgive that person who hurt you. Because sometimes we experience things are just bigger than I can do on my own. Now, I'm a person of great holiness, and I've grown to a part and a point where when someone cuts me off in traffic, I can often forgive them. I just wait for the next person to cut me off. And then I forget about those people and get angry at those. Friends, it's not about willpower. Our willpower may help us in little things, take it. But every one of us will someday face something that's bigger than my ability in my own strength. Why did they do that to my child? How could someone do that very thing? Friends, this is more than willpower. It's more than denial or forgetfulness. As if the ability to not remember was any sign of being on top of life. It's not about saying, oh, that didn't hurt, because sometimes it does. And sometimes it hurts big. So please don't... uh, just pour it out on someone with shame. Oh, you should forgive and forget. You know, I can with the little things, but I've been through some things. They're just beyond forgiving. I need something from outside of me. And that's the good news. Having received forgiveness by God's grace, having let that grow in my heart, I now have a resource from which to forgive others by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you live in forgiveness. It's not denial. Oh, it didn't hurt. It's, yeah, it hurt. Fill in some adjectives. But I've been loved deeply, and that love can begin to empower me to love you. From that foundation of forgiveness, forgiveness received, forgiveness given, the Spirit does amazing, surprising things. Surprise, the Spirit enables God's people to do all sorts of things, and we'll just race through chapter 8 here. It empowers God's people to engage others that they've been taught to hate. That's the Samaritans. You remember Jesus modeled this for them, and John, Jesus goes and meets a Samaritan woman at the well. But we can hardly understand the kind of ethnic antipathy, racial hatred between Jews and Samaritans. There was a condescension. The Jews treated them with contempt. We're the real people of God, not those half-baked, half-believing. There was this contempt. It was built into society, uh, a separation, a disdain. They were taught to hate 
and keep their distance in order to be right for God. But the Spirit begins to work. He moves in the gift of forgiveness. And suddenly, Philip, Peter, John, sharing life and food because they are sharing the gospel of God's grace. I want to ask you, who are the people of contempt in your heart? Are you ready for the Spirit to empower you with the message of God's grace to those people? Those people. If not, let me encourage you to listen to the voice of your good shepherd, to pray. Perhaps spend time with a spiritual director or a mentor or a gospel-centered friend. You see, the gospel is what's critical here, friends. If you're unwilling to share grace with those people of contempt in your heart, you may yourself have a hard issue centered on unforgiveness. Let God set you free. This is an invitation to new freedom. Let God set you free. It's his resources, his power. Surprise, the Spirit enables God's people to do amazing things. The Spirit empowered the church to engage people who serve another power. Chapter 8, verses 9 through 25 is a long story about a Samaritan shaman. It's a low-level worker of occult power. You know, shaman, the older term was witch doctor, voodoo priest, if you've lived in areas with that, where we lived far south of New Orleans for a season of time. There were these local, kind of low-level occult power folks, Tretar. And I want to tell you, some of what they did was power of suggestion. Some of them, I suggest to you, was real power. There's real stuff here. And that's what this guy is, Simon, among many other things. He's got occult power, and he's exerting it. The gospel comes in with a great new idea. We want you to meditate on the doctrine of the Trinity, and that will overcome that power and set you free. Go back and read it. The gospel comes in with power. Miracles. People exorcised. Do you remember in the early part of Acts? Wait and you will receive dynamite. You see, Simon the Mega, he's called, is fascinating. Simon the Great had dunamis, but his dunamis was a firecracker. The dunamis of the Spirit was dynamite. Speak with missionaries. Speak with people beyond our isolated Western experiences. And you'll hear stories where good observation says, there's more here than meets the eye. There's a power. And you'll never rationalize power by an idea. But the power of the gospel can overcome every dark power. And that's what happens with this shaman. The gospel came not with better doctrine or more sublime ideas. It moved in people's lives with greater power. And they came to hear of the power that comes from a God who would give his life for us. Friends, surprise, the Spirit enables God's people to do amazing things. Verses 26 through 40, the church is enabled to invite in people who have been shut out, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, we're in the United States, it's the 21st century, so I've got to speak to some issues that 
a mere few years ago, I wouldn't have had to, eunuch. This is not gender transition surgery. This man was a eunuch as a way to move up in the ranks of royal servants. You see, once emasculated, he's no threat of conception by rape or seduction. He could not affect the royal line of succession, so they let him work and move forward in his career. Simply put, because this guy was a eunuch, if the queen's daughter turned up pregnant, you could be sure he wasn't the person. This is not a man identifying as a woman. This is a man hoping to be rich and powerful or at least secure. And in the midst of that, somehow, he's heard about Jerusalem and this God, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. And so he goes to Jerusalem. He studied the God of the Old Testament and heard of the covenants, the good news. He shows up to worship that God, and you know what happens? He's not welcomed. Certainly, he would have stood out from the crowd as a black Ethiopian. Everybody would have known him. I suggest it's a very helpful thing that you go someplace where you stand out isolated. I remember when we first lived in New Orleans, and Mary Lynn and I would sometimes be the only white faces in a black church. You, you begin to realize what that feels like, not just what you think about it, but what it feels like. And never again will a stranger walk in where you worship and you be indifferent. You see, he would have stood out, but even more, he would have been unclean. Because he was a eunuch, they wouldn't have let him in. All that travel only to be rejected. Do you hear the voice of the Spirit? Philip, go to that chariot. As it turns out, he's reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. He's reading of this Isaiah's vision of Jesus. He was like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? How would that have sounded? He would have thought, oh yeah, that's me. I gave it all for my job and got nothing. They won't even welcome me. Who is this? Well, you know what happens. Philip uses that as the opportunity to tell him about Jesus. There's a thread through this whole eighth chapter. Five times the word euangelion, it's the Greek verb for announce good news, gospelize. Five times it's used. And right here it says, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, and he told this Ethiopian the good news about his political party. Wait a minute. He didn't tell him about his culture or his political party or his business or his hopes. He told him about Jesus. Please don't let people who carry the wounds of their heart hear of something else before they hear of Jesus from you. For all the difference, and uh, not sure what to make of this, between Philip and that Ethiopian, there was the good news of the gospel. 
Philip could live out the, the calling to forgiveness. And because that, the Spirit would empower him to move in powerful ways and touch people's lives. People who he had been taught to hate. People who were dabbling in dangerous powers. People who no one else would welcome in. Out of forgiveness grows this radical life of extending forgiveness and God's love. I want to tell you a story that I first heard of from a Dutch woman, and I actually found her telling the story herself. It's on, there's a link to it on YouTube in the Sermon Resources blog. Her name is Corey Ten Boom. You may well know her story as a young Dutch girl. Her family uh, hid Jews to save them from the Nazis. They were eventually found and sent off to a um, concentration camp, but she I remember the first time I heard her talk about the power of forgiveness to set the heart free. This is from her book, uh, Tramp for the Lord. At the close of a Berlin church service where Corey had spoken on forgiveness, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. Corey froze. She knew this man well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards at the Ravensbrück concentration camp where she'd been held by the Nazis and her sister had died. This guard had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush, she wrote. Do you know what she's talking about? Have you ever seen somebody show up in the room and suddenly it's all right there? The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And now he was pushing his hand out to shake hers and saying, a fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. I remembered him in the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he continued. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? As I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven by Christ and yet could not extend forgiveness. My sister Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? The soldier stood there expectantly, waiting for Corey to shake his hand. She wrestled with the most difficult thing I've ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. We forgive those who have injured us. Standing there before the former SS man, she prayed, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply all that I need. She thrust out her hand. And as I did, she writes, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and it raced down my arm. It sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then, but even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried, but did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. As we experience the breadth of God's forgiveness, he empowers us to forgive beyond what we could ever do.
Let's pray. Father, Holy Spirit, I thank you that my boss, Jesus, named you comforter, because I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would be a comfort in lives that maybe had a flood back of a wound or a word or who knows what. Our experiences are all so different in this moment. But I thank you that even as we have been forgiven, you give us a new resource, not a new demand of willpower or, or flood of shame for failure, but you give us a new resource to receive forgiveness and to extend it. Guide us as we walk in your grace into a new land of joy and hope. Fill us with all that you have for us. We thank you for your great kindness. Help us to live as forgiven people, empowered to forgive others, that we might see your spirit do truly surprising things. I've run over, but I still want to take just a moment and have us pray together. The Heart of White Gospel Meditation. Um, we'll have those words on the screen, and as I pray, I encourage you to join with me. Let the truth of the gospel begin to shape your heart in powerful ways. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for all humanity, I am not my own, but instead, by the working of His grace, I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great Creator King. Jesus has loved me first and loved me as I am right here and right now, not as I should be or could be. He has also given the Holy Spirit to work in me, transforming me day by day into His likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as he brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of your work in my life, values, and actions. Jesus, the resurrected one, shall reign across all the earth. Let us stand and sing that, the hope of our strength.
Amen. Before I give you the blessing and the benediction, let me again invite you to our fellowship time under the carport. Uh, let me express again our thanks to the ringers, the time that y'all put in to be prepared, we receive as your love for God. Receive now the benediction from 2 Corinthians. May the grace of Christ, which daily renews us, and the love of God, which enables us to love all, including those people, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which unites us in one body, make us eager to obey the will of God until we meet again through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.